We're continuing our walk through the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and we're looking at what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom. And all these sayings start with this term, blessed, uh, which we talked about the first night we looked at this. The idea is it's more than just being happy, although some translations do translate it happy. Uh, the idea is that you are fortunate. Uh, you're blessed. You are fortunate. You are in God's favor when you choose to follow Him and walk in these, this pathway. And so far we've looked at the idea that the first step on this path is to recognize that you are poor in spirit. And we talked about that. To recognize that you are spiritually bankrupt and you have absolutely nothing to offer. And once you come to that place and you recognize that you're a sinner, that you need saving, and you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are now part of the kingdom of heaven right here and right now. In fact, the only two passages in this section where it talks in the present tense are blessed are the poor in spirit, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. That's present and in verse 10, when it says, blessed are those who are persecuted, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. That's right here, right now. All the rest of these things, we get tastes and glimpses of it while we're here, but they're going to be fulfilled at a later date, especially the one we're looking at tonight. We looked at how you're fortunate or you're blessed when you, once you've accepted the fact that you're a sinner and you mourn, you grieve because of your sin. And Jesus says, when you mourn, when you get to that point, that you will be comforted. And that's more than just a mourning here on earth when we mourn for those who are sick, when we mourn for those who have passed away. Although God does comfort us in those situations, the idea is that when we are confronted with our sin, it should break our hearts. And when we recognize that and confess that, God will comfort us. He forgives our sins and takes them away. And tonight, we're here in verse 4. And I'll go ahead and read it. Uh, depending on the translation, it says, Blessed are the humble... A lot of English translations have the word meek there. So blessed are the humble or the meek, for they will inherit the earth. There's a story uh, that I'm going to share in just a minute that ties into this, but there's a lot of confusion about what the word meek or humble means. Uh, a lot of people mistakenly confuse the word meek with a word that rhymes with it, with weak. They hear the word meek and and they just assume that that means that you're helpless, that there's nothing you can do about it, that you're powerless. And if Jesus is telling us to be meek and humble, and he actually uses those, those same words to describe himself, then we know he's not talking about being powerless. He's not talking about us being a doormat for people to walk all over top of. So we have to determine what does it mean when Jesus says you need to be meek or you need to be humble. And then what does it mean if we do this when he says, we will inherit the earth? Let's talk about what that means in just a moment. But I looked up the definition of meek in a couple of different dictionaries and got a lot of different uh, definitions, but a couple of them that stuck out to me. One definition for the word meek or humble is to endure injury with patience without resentment. And that's hard to do, but we see an example of it in our Lord and Jesus. In Jesus. He stood there silent before those who abused him and accused him. So that's one idea is to, to suffer patiently without retaliation. And then another one says to have and to show a quiet and gentle nature, not wanting to fight or argue with others. Now, depending on what definition you use, depending on what definition you kind of relate to, both of those things are difficult to do as human beings. Is it our nature to stand there silently and take it? 
It's not mine. I don't know about you, but it's not mine. Somebody says something about me, if I act on my own impulses, I'm going to say something back. If they attack me, my natural impulse is to attack back. And in fact, what our world tells us to do is to preemptively strike. Get them before they can get you. So this is a supernatural state of being. Some people are better at it than others, let's just admit. Some people have a little more self-control. They're a little more humble. But our basic human nature tells us that if someone hurts us, then we hurt them back. And the idea of being meek, when Jesus says, be meek, be humble, he's not telling you to be a little mouse and to be powerless. In fact, he's telling us to, to take our power and submit it to his will. And that shows a lot more strength as we're going to look at I said I wanted to share this story, and I've done my best to confirm this. Sometimes you have to be careful when you hear stories on the internet. They sound good, but you can't verify it. I cannot verify this story as 100% factual, so I just want to say that, but I've seen it in several different places, and it involves a guy that I really, really like named Chuck Norris. But the story goes, and like I said, I can't 100% confirm this, but the story goes Chuck Norris was sitting in this booth in this restaurant having lunch, and a regular came in and saw that this guy was sitting in his booth, not understanding who it was. So he goes up and said, hey, buddy, you're sitting in my booth. And Chuck Norris politely gets up, says, I'm sorry, takes his stuff and goes to another booth and sits down. And as the guy's sitting there, he looks up and it dawns on him, oh, my goodness, I just was rude to Chuck Norris. I told Chuck Norris to get up and get out of my spot. So now the guy's scared, he's anxious, he's nervous. So he says, I've got to go make this right. So he gets up and he humbly goes over and says, Mr. Norris, I'm so sorry that I was rude. I'm so sorry that I did that. I hope you accept my forgiveness. And Chuck Norris supposedly looks up and says, it's okay, everything's fine. And the guy kind of wipes the sweat off his brow and says, but I do have to ask you a question. He's like, you could have mopped the floor up with me. But you didn't do it. You got up and you, you didn't say anything and you walked away. But, and you could have just cleaned this place up with me. So why didn't you do that? And supposedly Chuck Norris says, that is not my nature. Chuck Norris could have whipped that guy, but he chose not to. So does that mean Chuck Norris was weak? Chuck Norris didn't have power? What it means is he took his strengths and his power and his weakness and he held it under control. And I think that's a good illustration of what Jesus is talking about here. He's not telling us to be quiet little mice and scuttle off. He's not telling us to lay out on the floor and let people walk all over our backs. But what he's saying is we should resist our natural temptation to strike back and to fight. The word in Greek, I'm not even going to attempt to say it, but Mark Moore, who's one of our, our faith group's professors, he teaches. He's spoken over at Matthew several times. He's written this really good book called The Chronological Life of Christ, where he goes through the Gospels and he explains things. And he says this idea of being meek is all about submission, to take your strength and your power and submit it to the will of God. And he says the word comes from a military term. And the idea is imagine a war horse like they rode in the first century, these big powerful stallions that they rode into battle. Horses are amazing. But the idea of being meek or submissive is you take these mighty powerful animals and you put a bit in their mouth or a bridle and you control them. Those animals are still strong. Those animals are still powerful, but their power has been placed 
into submission under the one controlling them. And that's the idea that Jesus is presenting here. He's not telling us to be weaklings. He's not telling us to be mice. He's saying take the strengths and the things that are your abilities, uh, the things that you have, your, your mind, your intellect, and all these things, and submit them to the Holy Spirit. And we're like these powerful horses of war. But we've been bridled. It doesn't make us any less strong. It doesn't make us any less powerful. But we are submitting to the one who we are supposed to follow, Christ. And it only comes through his spirit. Some people are, like I said, a little better off than this. But a lot of us, myself especially included, really need the Holy Spirit to help me put that part of my life in submission. Sure, another secular example I think illustrates this. Uh, you'll find that, that I love music. I love all kinds of music, but growing up, for some reason, I love Kenny Rogers. I, I, one of the first albums I ever got, nowadays, I don't have to tell you what an album is, but I have to tell kids what an album is. It was like a Kenny Rogers Greatest Hits, and it had all of them up there. And maybe you remember this song called Coward of the County by Johnny. Some, some folks called him Yella because... He was in all these situations, and he, he always kind of stayed to the back. He kept his mouth shut. He never responded. And if you listen to the story, it's a wonderful song. The reason he was like that is because his daddy was in prison and died when he was 10, and his dad said, you don't have to fight to be a man. So for all these years, when all these things happened, when people were walking all over, all over him, taking advantage of him, he didn't say anything. And people just assumed, well, this guy's a coward. He's yellow. That's what the song said. But if you remember at the end of the song... These bad guys, these brothers come and took advantage of his true love. And in the song, he finally had had enough. If you know the song, he goes in there and he just whoops them. Until he had had enough, he was displaying what it means. Because he obviously had the ability to take care of these people because he does it at the end of the song. But he had his strength and power under control. He remembered what his daddy had told him. He says, you don't have to act like that. And up to a certain point, he was able to do it. Well, Jesus is our perfect example. Jesus was power and strength under control, and Jesus never lost it. Now, there are a couple of times in Scripture where we see Jesus do things that seem to be out of his character. And the only two times I can find in Scripture where Jesus does something where we might think he's responding in anger. Do you remember what they were? Same time, two different things. He went into the temple and saw him making a mockery of the temple. He did this twice. And he was angry. It was righteous anger. And he, he threw them out. Those are the only two times I can find in all of Scripture where Jesus does something that we might perceive as being lashing out. But that wasn't because he had been personally insulted. It was because they were desecrating the temple. They were blaspheming God. And he was totally justified. He did not sin in what he did. Because you also see on the flip side when he stood before those Sanhedrin and they were mocking him. And if you read, you read what happened to Jesus, I don't, as a human being, because remember, he's completely human. As a human, it had to have been difficult to stand there as people, I said they plucked the hairs out of his beard. They beat him. They mocked him. The one that would have gotten me was when they spit in his face. And he stood there silent like a sheep before the shearer. We know good and well Jesus was powerful, but he had the power in submission to the will of the Father. You still have your Bibles open. Turn over to Psalm 37 for me. 
Most scholars believe that here in the Beatitudes, when Jesus says, blessed are the meek or blessed are the, the humble, that he's actually making reference to Psalm 37. And Jesus was prone to do that. After all, he is a Jewish rabbi living in the first century. He has been proclaimed to be the Jewish Messiah that the people have been waiting for their whole life. And Psalm 37 is a psalm of David. And he's going to reference the situation when the Messiah does come and put things in its place. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it starts off with David saying, don't be agitated by evildoers and don't envy those who are doing wrong. For they wither like grass and wilt like tender green plants. Trust in the Lord and do what is good. Dwell in the land and live securely. Take delight in the Lord and He will give you your heart's desire. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act, making your righteousness shine like the dawn, your justice like the noonday. Be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for Him. Do not be agitated by one who prospers in His way, by the person who carries out evil plans. Refrain from anger. Give up your rage. Do not be agitated. It can only bring harm. For evildoers will be destroyed, but those who put their hope in the Lord will inherit the land. And there you get this idea of inheriting something. David continues to write, A, a little while and the wicked person will be no more. Though you look for him, he will not be here. And this is most likely the part Jesus was referencing. But the humble will inherit the land and will enjoy abundant prosperity. Now, when I sit there and start reading through that psalm, I get tied up right there in verse 1. I already, I already admit that it's tough for me to be humble and meek sometimes, especially if somebody's personally attacking me. Sometimes I can let that go, but if you mess with my wife, you mess with my kids or my grandson or my mama, it's hard. So when David says, do not be agitated by evildoers, that's hard for me to do. All you got to do is look around and you can find some evildoers to get upset with, right? They are everywhere. You don't even have to look for them. They come looking for you. This is something that is almost impossible to do without the Holy Spirit giving you the strength to do it. Now I admit, and I've already said, some people are better at this than others. But for the most part, as human beings, it is so difficult to let those things go. It's so difficult to say, not my will, but yours. And that's what Christ modeled for us. David is presenting these messianic expectations, what the Messiah is going to do when he comes. How to please the Messiah. And it says that if we're patient, I mean, you look at these words, be patient, don't envy, don't be agitated. Verse 8 is another one that can be really difficult for a lot of us. Refrain from anger and give up your rage. Don't be agitated. It can only bring you harm. But the idea David was trying to get across is like if you're faithful, even though you have to deal with all this stuff, and let's just be honest, we still have to deal with all this stuff. It hasn't gone away. If we persevere... David was looking forward to the Messiah coming the first time. And David may have been surprised that when Jesus left, this stuff is still going on. Because here we are 2,000 years after Jesus and we're still dealing with it. And now we are waiting for the Messiah to return. But as our sermon series in the morning is showing us that when he returns, he's going to fix all this stuff.
These evildoers who think they're getting away with things in this life have another thing coming. This inherit the land. We'll get to this concept in the last sermon series on Sunday morning, but one day Jesus is going to make all things new, including this planet. The beautiful thing about it is, and I think this is what Jesus was referring to when He says, the humble and the meek will inherit the earth. He wasn't talking literally here and now, although in their mind, they were thinking the Messiah is this king. He's going to be like David. He's going to come in here and throw all our enemies out. And Israel is going to prosper the way it did in the days of Solomon. Jesus was saying, this kingdom that you have become a part of, you experience it here and now. You get benefits here and now. You get glimpses and tastes of it here and now. But some of it you're going to have to wait for. And that's still true for us today. There's part of it we're going to have to wait for. And it's only going to happen when Jesus returns. If you do the history, and you look at the history behind the, the times that Jesus lived in, especially there in Palestine, the majority of the people listening to Jesus were poor. It was an agricultural society. Most of them were farmers, but they didn't own their own land. They couldn't afford it, so they had to rent land. Or Some of them were were basically sharecroppers or slaves. They didn't own anything, not even the land that they worked. And, and a lot of their landlords were not very nice people. James talks about those rich people who take advantage of the poor. That would have been one of the things he was referencing. So for these poor people just struggling to make ends meet that don't even own, own the land that they live on and the land that they make their living from, for Jesus to say, you're going to inherit the entire earth, that would have been a mind-blowing concept to them. They would have had no concept as, what does that mean? I don't even own the piece of land that I'm, I'm growing food on, and I'm going to own part of this planet? And it would have been confusing. And it's probably still confusing to us today. What does that mean for us? Well, Jesus promised that when He returns... The first thing he's going to do is put all his enemies under his feet. Those people who have not humbled themselves, those people who are proud and arrogant and deceitful, he's going to get rid of all them. He's going to recreate this earth and make it new and make it perfect. Now, I don't want to give too much away because this is going to be the last sermon we look at in that series on Sunday morning. But the, the biggest difference between creation when God created it before the fall and the creation that we're going to inherit and this should be exciting to us that we're going to inherit this. The, the biggest difference between earth before the fall and the new earth, if you remember in Genesis, Adam and Eve lived in this perfect planet and God was in heaven and sometimes God would come down and walk with them on earth. The difference is when you get to Revelation, it says there's a new earth and God's holy city, New Jerusalem, where does it come? It comes down to earth. And this new earth that we're going to inherit is perfect. No sin, no pain, no sadness. And the best thing about it is, is God is going to dwell here with us. And that is the kingdom that we have joined when we make Christ our Lord and Savior. And we get glimpses and tastes of it here. The church is a glimpse and a taste of what that's going to be like. But we are still waiting. And our challenge is to, to continually humble ourselves and to live in peace with God and in peace with others so that when Christ returns, we receive that inheritance. 
the application for us. We're told that we have to live in this world. We have to take part in things of this world, but we're not supposed to be of this world. And sometimes the line is really blurry. Sometimes it's not so black and white. Sometimes it's really gray. But if you have the spirit of Almighty God living in us, and sometimes I think we misunderstand that. Sometimes I think we take that for granted. I know I sure do. But the God that spoke everything into existence. Think about this. When you humble yourselves before Him. Scripture says if you humble yourselves, He will exalt you. He will lift you up. We have the God that parted the waters. We have the God that actually created the waters and His Spirit lives in each and every one of us. So it may be difficult from a human perspective to humble ourselves and to be meek and to be mild and to turn the other cheek and everything that comes along with that. But supernaturally through the power of God Almighty whose Spirit dwells within us, we can do it. We can do it. One more passage I want us to look at. Titus. You flip back towards the end of the New Testament. Flip to Titus. I feel bad for Titus. Titus doesn't get read as much as some of these other books. It's a small book, but man, there's some good stuff in Titus. Paul is writing. He's, he wrote two letters to Timothy, and he's writing to Titus. And in Titus 3, this is Paul encouraging a young man named Titus who would have been serving as an elder, a leader in the church. And he's trying to encourage him. And in Titus chapter 3, verse 1, Paul writing to Titus says, Remind the church. Remind people that they are to submit to rulers and authorities. That in itself sometimes takes the Holy Spirit because... I don't know about you, but I don't like wearing masks. I don't like the government telling me we can't meet and do these things. But there are times when we're supposed to submit. Paul says that in Romans 13. So sometimes we have to say, Lord, you've got to help me deal with this. You've got to help me because I ain't liking it very much. But Titus says, remind them. Not because of us, but because of Christ, sometimes we need to submit. To obey, to be ready for every good work. To slander no one to avoid fighting and to be kind, always showing gentleness to all people. For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but all by the Holy Spirit. He poured out His Spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy. I want you to careful. This saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. These are good and profitable for everyone. Our perfect example is Jesus Christ. I use two examples. I use Chuck Norris and I use the coward of the county. But in both of those cases, those guys are humans. And they have failed and at times they have lashed out. Scripture tells us that Jesus, Paul says in Philippians 2, 
this mind should be in us that was in Jesus. Even though He was God, remember what He says? He humbled Himself and took the form of a servant and was obedient even to death on the cross. Jesus stood there, and John makes it real clear in John chapter 1 that Jesus is also the creator of this world, the creator of the earth in human form, who had lived 30-some years perfectly, never sinned, never dropped the ball, and he's standing there with a bunch of sinful men making fun of him, mocking him, hitting him, spitting in his face. And he knew that that was just the beginning, that he was getting ready to go to the cross. If you want to see what it truly looks like to be humble and to be meek, to see power, in fact, to see the all-powerful God in submission, all you have to do is look at the cross. Scripture says he could have called a legion of angels and put an end to it right there. He did not have to do it. But Jesus, God in the flesh, he submitted to the will of the Father. And He's left us His Spirit, the Spirit of the same God that lives within us. And sometimes we're going to slip, sometimes we're going to fall, sometimes we're going to give into the flesh. Paul talks about that battle between the flesh and the Spirit. Sometimes I know what I'm supposed to do and I don't do it, and sometimes I know what I'm supposed to do and I don't do it. So we're going to have moments when we fail, but that's where grace comes in. And even though it's difficult and even though it's not natural to us in the flesh, we can overcome it. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be humble. We can seek God first. Like this in this morning's sermon, we abandon ourselves. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are obedient and we submit to God. And at the right time, He will lift us up. And when He returns, we will inherit perfect, beautiful earth. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank You for Your Word. And we just thank You for the example that Jesus gave us. Even though He was God in the flesh. And He didn't have to do any of this. He submitted to Your will so that He could save us. And now You have given us Your Spirit so that we can overcome. Lord, help us to be humble. Help us to be meek and mild and to serve You and to serve others. And we know that we need Your help. So we just pray for the strength of Your Spirit. Lord, just thank You for Jesus. Help us to live for Him. The things we say and do draw others to Him. And we just pray this in His name. Amen.